if you'll find Luke 11 and then go to Psalm 23. Most of you know Psalm 23. Luke 11 and Psalm 23. And uh, we are glad that you're here. We're glad that God has a word for us. If the Lord allows this morning for just a few minutes, I'd like to steal the, uh, the sermon title that I spoke at the youth camp this year entitled 21 Seconds. Look at your neighbor and say 21 Seconds. That will change your life, the life of others, and the world. And those of you that did not look at your neighbor and say it, I'm going to have you come up here and tell the whole, no, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I would. If I had a little bit more time, I would, but I don't this morning, so I won't pick on anybody. Obviously, this morning, we want to talk a little bit about the power of prayer. I saw firsthand a precious interview uh, of Billy Graham, and Billy Graham has touched the world, has raised more uh, audiences and given more salvation altar calls than any other evangelist. There have literally been thousands that have come to the Lord through his ministry. And uh, they were questioning him and just asking him. He's written like four or five bestsellers. I believe he's almost 90. I believe he's 88 or 89, almost 90. And they asked him, if you had to do it all over again, Aaron, all over again, would you do anything different? And he said, I would. And they said, what? He said, I'd pray more. I'd pray more. Janice and Mitchell, what a joy to have you this morning with us at Harvest. I'd pray more. And I thought, what an incredible man of God that has accomplished so much, but yet felt like he should have spent more time in prayer. Sidlow Baxter said, I've got so much to do today. I think I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. Brother Hagen said, rarely do I pray an hour, but there's never an hour that goes by that I don't pray. And what incredible tool, incredible thing that God has given us to be able to, to communicate. And this morning I want to look at um, the Lord's Prayer for a minute. And I don't know why we call it the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. But we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's our prayer. But uh, I was told a story of a, a newlywed couple was given a parrot for a wedding present. And after about three or four weeks of their marriage, the only thing the parrot would say is, let's smooch. I wonder why. Newlyweds, there you have it. Well, it was embarrassing. People would come over, and the parrot would say, let's smooch. So one Sunday morning, their pastor was preaching, and the pastor told the congregation that he had been given a parrot, and all that parrot wanted to say was, let's pray. Let's pray. And the, and the newlywed couple said, wow, that's crazy. We wish our parrot. So they talked to the pastor after service. The pastor said, why don't you come over and bring your parrot, let your parrot hang around our parrot, and maybe he'll change his vernacular. And so sure enough, they went over to the pastor's house. They took their parrot in with them. And the first thing their parrot said was, let's smooch. And the pastor's parrot said, thank God my prayers have been answered. <laughs> thank God my you got it. I'm impressed you guys got it. Rarely. Um, Keisha, what a joy. What a joy to have you this morning. Glad you're here this morning, that beautiful baby. So we're going to talk a little bit about prayer. I love the red hymnal. The red hymnal has some precious, precious songs. There's a song in there that says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our, all our griefs, all of our, our knees and sins to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. 
I remember on Sunday night we would always sing that song, Now Let Us Have a Little Talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faintest cry, and he will answer by and by. Are you not glad this morning that you serve a God that not just listens, but a God that hears and a God that responds? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's about 400 years there of silence. Not that God did not speak, but it was not recorded. And during that, in between the Old Testament and New Testament, there was a season when there was a drought. And uh, there was no water. There was no rain. There were, the cisterns were, were dry. The wells were dry. The creeks were dry. And uh, the cattle was dying. The crops were failing. And people were threatened of their life because they had no water to drink. But there was a man by the name of Honey that had a reputation. And Honey was a man that had a reputation that when he prays, God heard and God responds. So they sent a delegate of over 100 people to his little village. And they told him what was going on. They told him how bad things were. And they told him where they were at. And they really needed a miracle from God. Honey walked outside, took his staff, held his staff, and he made a circle on the ground with the staff there in the dust. He laid his staff down, got in the middle of that circle, got down on his knees, and began to pray. And he began to pray for rain. And those that witnessed this miracle said that it seemed like it was about two hours, but really it was only about 20 minutes. And as he was praying, all of a sudden it barely starts trickling, a drizzle. And Honey said, no, God, we don't need that kind of rain. We need a rain that will fill every creek bed, every well, every cistern. And for the next 48 hours, rain fell from heaven, filled every well, filled every dry creek, filled every cistern. God answers prayer. And, of course, those of you that are aware of Mark Batterson has written a book called, uh, what is it, Pastor Rhonda, the, the Circle Maker. And it tells about stories of those that made up their mind that they were going to get in tune with God and not leave until they heard from the Lord. Many, many, many years ago, 35 years ago, the denomination that I was a part of all my life uh, refused to license me. Uh, I was divorced, and uh, they just had a... I just had a, a rule or regulation that uh, I did not uh, a fit in their uh, society, and that was all well and good. But my uncle, who had traveled the world for years and years and years, was uh, licensed under a ministry uh, called A.A. A. Allen. And those of you that have been around the block a time or two, A.A. A. Allen was one of the greatest healing evangelists of that particular generation. He was the one that had the tent that had thousands of people. His office was in Miracle Valley, Arizona. And uh, through, all, through, that, through that relationship, uh, I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Allen. I was very young. I was about 10 or 12 years old, and I remember him being in my grandmother's kitchen. My grandmother had a reputation that she would cook breakfast no matter what time you showed up. It, don't you love grandmas like that? And she was serving him, serving him breakfast. And uh, later in life, uh, I think about 10 years ago, I received his book, his autobiography, where he writes about his relationship with the Lord. And there's one chapter there in the book where he said he got so hungry for God that he went in the closet. He told his wife, don't bother me, don't get me, don't, don't disturb me. Went in the closet, shut the door, and said, God, I'm not leaving here until you show me your glory, until you show me my, your power, until you answer some questions that I have. For three days, he stayed in that closet. And when he came out of that closet, he wrote the book, The uh, Eight Things That God Showed Him While He Was Sequestered 
alone with God. I don't know how many of us could go into a closet for three days. Uh, I actually have a very small closet, and I wouldn't fit in there, so it would be impossible for me to go in the closet. But those of you that have big walk-in closets, uh, I saw just a few months ago a powerful, powerful movie uh, called War Room. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend that you see it. It's a, it's a powerful movie. But the movie was all about a young lady that was struggling in her marriage, struggling with life, and uh, she created a place where she could go and be alone with God. Jeremiah said, oh, that I had a lodging place in the wilderness. And every one of us need a place. Every one of us need a place that we can go off and not be disturbed and not be interrupted and we can spend time with God. We can hear God. We can speak to God. Expect God to speak back. Most of you know that I dug up my backyard several years ago and planted flowers and planted perennials. And Gene and Aaron were so good to come yesterday and spent seven hours pulling weeds. And a lot of weeds. But I have a window that overlooks this garden. And I have my books, my devotion books. And I go in, shut the door, open up the window. And then I just, I just, I just spend... I don't, I don't ask God for a whole lot. I don't, that's not the kind of meeting place that is. But it's just a place where I enjoy the beauty that he created, and I listen. And I just, I just stay in his presence, usually 10, 15, how long, 10, 15, 20 minutes, and just stay there and listen. And it's amazing how God will talk to you if you slow down long enough to listen. I mean, a lot of us, you know, we have those uh, dear God save the world prayers and our prayers are very brief and, and very sketchy. And I think a lot of times when we come to the altar to receive from God, I think God sends ministering spirits to meet our needs, but we're gone. We don't stay there long enough to hear what God has to say. And it is interesting that when God created us, we were created with one mouth and two ears. Maybe God wanted us to listen twice as much as we talk. Look at your neighbor and say, that's just a possibility. That's just a possibility. When I met with the youth, there were two or three prayers that I shared with them. And uh, one of those prayers was the prayer of Elijah. Elijah was in a major confrontation with the uh, prophets of Baal. And he had challenged them to call down fire from heaven. And you know the story. He let the prophets go first. And the Bible says they prayed, they screamed, and they, they cut. They cut themselves and bled. And in their frustration, and they, they called upon their God, and Elijah gave them a little bit more time, and then Elijah made fun of them uh, a little bit. And then I, and Elijah said, soak my, soak my offering, soak it. Twelve, Twelve times they soaked the offering, dug a trench around it, filled it with water, so he made it impossible for any way for there to be instantaneous combustion. And then, and then Elijah prays a 53-word prayer, 53-word, and just a few minutes the sacrifice was consumed. The congregation got so excited about that, they drew their swords, and they killed about 300 priests of Baal. Now, I'm not encouraging you this morning to take a sword and kill anybody, but one man's prayer turned that nation back to God. One man, the witness of God's power, the witness of God's authority, changed the mind of the people. And then there was a window where Elijah went. The widow there blessed him with a, or the, the, the wife there, blessed him with the room, and you know the story. Uh, Elijah wanted to bless her, and he asked his servant, what does the woman need? He said, well, she doesn't really need anything, but she doesn't have a son. So Elijah went to God, and Elijah asked God to give this precious, precious lady a son. 
And there I, there I see how God many, many times in life will you pray for your children. Many times you lay your children on the altar and pray for them. And I've, I have, we have several people in our life that could not have children. It was impossible for them to have children. We were in, um, not Maryville, we were in Knoxville at a, at a great church, and we were, we were evangelizing, and there was an altar ministry, and there was a prophetic word given to one of the couples there in the, in the, uh, in the altar area. Uh, great service went back, went out to eat with the pastor, and the pastor said, man, we're having a great meeting, but you kind of got yourself into a mess tonight. I said, okay. So what did I do? You never know. What did I do? And he said, you called out a, a couple, and you told them that you told them that this time next year they would be with child, and she does not have the female parts to have children, and uh, we, we, we got a mess. I said, well, I'll apologize. I'll do. He said, no. I said, don't, don't worry about it. I said, uh, I'll, I'll deal with it. It'll be okay. And it kind of I don't know, the revival kind of went, you know, when, you're, when, you, when you feel like, my Lord, I'm prophesying false things. One year later, look at your neighbor, give him a high five and say, one year later, one year later, Lenore City on a Sunday night in the altar ministry, a couple came up to me and said, do you remember me? Well, absolutely not. I've done over 300 churches, 18 countries, 41 states, and 11 different denominations. No, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. Said A year ago, you prophesied over us that we would be with child, and we want to introduce you to our, I think it was a little boy, little boy, and introduced me to the little boy. And, of course, I got excited. I said, did you name him Hank? And they said, no. I said, you've got to be kidding I prophetically ordained your son and called him forth, and you didn't call him Hank, and it really did, it really, it didn't really hurt my, you know I'm teasing, but it just goes to show you that prayer with expectation can change your life. Prayer with expectation can change the life of others. I got, I wrote down here that uh, there was a storm in Peter's life, and the word says, or Jesus said, Satan has desired to sift thee as wheat. And, you know, that's, that's just really a, a distraction. The enemy tries to distract us from, from our goals, our missions, our destiny, our purpose. It always seems like something more important comes up. Can anybody relate? relate? It is a distraction. And Jesus told Peter, the enemy desires to distract you, to hinder you, to hold you back. But watch this. I prayed for you. What a crazy day when Jesus Christ is praying for you. And you hit a storm, you hit a snag, you hit some area of your life that, that you don't know what to do and you ask others around you to, to pray and nothing seems to be happening, I have good news. You have a high priest that ever liveth at the right hand of the Father interceding for you and talking to God about you, asking God to do things for you. Does that excite anybody in the building this morning? And then I and then I found where, where we're going to talk about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. The, the word said that Job went through one of the most horrible storms in the Bible. I don't think there's any guy in the Bible that got, up, got beat up more than Job. He lost all of his income, all of his wealth, all of his money. He lost 10 children. 10 children died. There was a storm. They were in the house, and the, and the roof fell on the kids, and all 10 of them died. He got real sick. He got what many believe was elephantitis, huge sores. And for several weeks or months, it's hard to determine how long the friends were there. But when you read the writings of the friends, Pastor Todd, they weren't very good friends. 
One of, one of them told Job, your confession's wrong. You're not confessing correctly. Another one told Job, there's sin in your life. God's not answering your prayer because there's sin in your life. And then another, another guy told him, said, God's mad at you. God's not answering your prayer because he's mad at you. And I'll tell you what, if God's mad at you, prayer is the one thing he does answer, he does honor. Does anybody relate in the building today? And so as Job goes through a storm in the 41st chapter of Job, God introduces Job to Satan. He starts out talking about a crocodile. In the middle of the chapter, Job realizes that God is telling him about this entity, about this spiritual darkness, about this, this prince of the power of the air. And when Job realizes that it's the enemy that's bringing all the storms and the enemy that's bringing all the tragedy, Job connects with God and God tells Job, I want you to pray for your friends. Now, Richard, I don't know uh, if you would have been able to pray for someone that had burnt you, that had, that had criticized you, that had been nothing but negative. But the Bible says that when Job began to pray for his friends, God turned his captivity around and God gave Job double for everything that he had lost. Ten more children. It said he didn't just see his grandchildren's grandchildren, but another generation. He lived to see five generations of grandchildren because he prayed for his friends. And they weren't really friends. But that's the kind of God that we serve. In Luke, the 11th chapter, the uh, you don't have to look there yet. We're going to go to Psalms 23, and I'm almost done. How many believe that? One, two, three. Debbie, thanks. Okay. In Luke, the 11th chapter, you don't have to go there yet. The disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. We know that two of the disciples of Jesus were with John. And when Jesus appeared on the scene, they left John and they went to be with Jesus. And so there was something about the way that John and his disciples prayed that touched their life enough to say, teach us to pray the way that John taught his disciples how to pray. Research reveals that the prayer that John probably taught the disciples was the prayer of Psalms 23. Very easy, instead of saying, the Lord is my shepherd, it's very easy to turn around and say, Lord, you are my shepherd. And with that, just that little change there in your, in your verbiage, in your wording, it's not just a beautiful psalm and a song, but it becomes a prayer that John's disciples prayed every day. And as you look at Psalms 23, you realize that everything you need in life, everything you need in God, everything you need in family, everything you need in business is found in Psalm 23. Let me break it down for you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want for rest. You ever feel like a hamster cage going round and round and round, stressed out, burnt out, tired? Anybody relate? And God says, you need to take a selah moment. Psalms 23 says, I shall not want for rest, because he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. God knows how to feed you. God knows how to care for you. God knows how to bring a rest to your spirit that you can just, just, just rest there for a season. I shall not want for refreshment because he leadeth me beside still water. Sheep were real weird. 
They wouldn't drink out of a river. They didn't like the running water. It terrified them. It intimidated them. So the shepherd leads the sheep to a place of still water. It says, I shall not want for restoration. God is all about restoration where it talks about your, son, your sons and daughters shall dream dreams, shall see visions, and I'll restore everything the enemy has stolen. He is the God of restoration, for he restoreth my soul. When you pray Psalms 23, you shall not want for direction, for he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And when I think about that, God, God leaves us places that brings him honor. I remember there was a, a window in time when Alexander the Great had conquered the world. He had literally conquered the world. And it was the, the policy of the battle that after the battle was over, those soldiers that abandoned and those soldiers that ran and those soldiers that, that left their post, they were called into a meeting and uh, the captain would begin to accuse them of what they did, and then he would punish them. And most of the punishments were death. If you abandon your post, if you flee in, the, in battle, you are put to death. But there was a certain young man, Alexander the Great was sitting here watching all of this. There was a certain young man that he just, he just took a liking to. He, just, he liked him. He liked the way he looked. He liked him. And, and uh, he interrupted the proceedings, and he asked the young man, he said, uh, I'm going to forgive you for, the, for, for what you have committed, and uh, you're going to get another chance. But what is your name? And the young soldier looked at Alexander and said, my name is Alexander. Alexander the Great was quiet for a moment, and then he made this statement. Change your ways or change your name. Change your ways or change your name. It was the world that attached to us the term Christian. I rarely use that term because in definition in the Greek, it means Christ-like. I would like Keisha to think I'm Christ-like, and I would like to think that I did all the right things, and I, and I did what God wanted me to do, and I was Christ-like. But that's quite a statement for us to say we are Christians. We are Christ-like. And I think the Lord would say today, change your ways or change uh, just teasing, a little, little humor there. No, nobody get offended here. I shall not want for companionship, for yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I shall not want for correction or discipline, because thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I shall not want for substance or food or water, because thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want for anointing, because thou anointest my head with oil. I shall not want for extra. And then I sometimes just have a little extra. At the end of the week, you get your paycheck, and there's a little extra money there. He said, I shall not want for extra, because my cup runneth over. And when your cup runneth over, that means you have all you need for yourself, and you have some left over to share with somebody else. I wish I had a friend that could just say amen. I shall not want for anything in this life which is to come because surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall not want for anything in that life which is to come. Help me, for I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a prayer. And that was probably the disciples of John probably prayed that prayer. And that's a powerful prayer. But I want to talk about the prayer that, that takes 21 seconds to pray 21 seconds, it can change your life. It can change the life of others. And as we've watched, it can change generations. It can change a battle. It can change a healing. It can bring a miracle. That's how powerful that prayer is. 
And when they came to him, Luke 11, 2, you can go there now. And they said, Master, teach us to pray the way that John taught his disciples. And Jesus makes this statement. Not if, help me, but when. Not if, but when. Prayer is something that we are connected to God. Prayer, uh, many of you have keys in your pocket. Uh, I have keys in my pocket. And each one of my keys has a different responsibility. Uh, one of my keys starts the Lexus. Uh, one of my keys opens the church. One of the keys opens my home. And one of my keys opens Courtney and Angel's home. And these keys all represent things that were locked to me but now available. When Jesus said, I give you the keys to the kingdom, and there are two, he said, I give you the key of binding and I give you the key of loosening. And I have learned that prayer binds the enemy and prayer loosens God's power. I know that in prayer, as we begin to pray, there is what we call a prophetic prayer that you can actually begin to thank God and praise God for something he's, he's going to do but hasn't done yet. There was a real mess 30 years ago, 40 years ago with the, the, uh, the, faith, con the faith confession movement. There were many that were, that were confessing only the positives of the word of God, and they were confessing they would never be sick, and they were confessing, and you know what, that was all well and good, but it was just a little bit out of order. You know, when we pray the confession prayer, we pray the prayer, Lord, I'm sick, but I'm believing in Jesus' name. In the next few minutes, next few hours, you're going to touch me, and I'm going to be healed. Lord, I'm broke. I don't have a pot. I'm, I'm absolutely broke, but I believe you're going to honor some seed I sowed yesterday, and you're going to bless me. See the, see the power of, of praise. You pray, you're, you're praising God for something he hasn't done yet. And if you have a loved one or friend, or you guys are quiet today. If you have a loved one or a friend that is, a, that is away from God, I encourage you to prophetically pray for them. See that son in the altar. See that daughter in the altar. See that grandchild. See that Mary. See that business. See that money. See it in the altar and see it healed. See it restored because he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We know that there's no poverty in heaven. We know there's no strife in heaven. We know there's no enmity in heaven. So as we pray what God has in heaven, we have here on earth things begin to change. He said, when, not if. It's important. Listen, don't have to, don't have to take an hour. Well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take an hour. Jesus told the disciples, couldn't you give me one hour? Could you just give me one hour? I'm, I'm getting ready to face my darkest day. Could you not just pray and intercede for one hour? And a lot of times we'll say, well, I can't pray an hour. Good, pray three minutes. Pray five minutes. Put your, put your favorite CD in and pray while that CD is, play, is praying because things begin to happen when you begin to pray. There is a season. There's a moment. The Word says that every day in the cool of the evening that God came and talked to Adam and Eve. That the cool of the day was not for God's benefit. It was for our benefit. So when it's convenient, when it's good, when we, when we have time and we pray, God will come to where we're at and God begins to hear. And aren't you glad that God begins to answer? Woo! Wow! Amen! Praise God! Right on, Pastor Hank, you're doing great. Take 20 more minutes. Come on, give the Lord a hand, cup of praise for word. That should change your life. Because I got some good news. 
He said, when you pray, say our covenant. You're praying with somebody. Any two of you, any three of you, in agreement, brings God to where you're at. And those of you that have been with me, and I know Chris and Susan are probably tired of hearing this, but this, I live by it, and I'll share it probably until the day the rapture takes place. I believe I'm going to go in the rapture. Three things happen when you pray for somebody else. The word says to bless your enemies. It's tough to pray for your enemies and still be mad at them. There is an intimacy that is established between you and someone you're praying for. If you don't like somebody, if you haven't forgiven somebody, if you're judging somebody, put all that on the back burner and begin to bless them. Pray that God would drop hot coals in their lap. Pray, pray that they would just they would be blessed, that they would be awesome, they'd be phenomenal. Pray that prayer. And it's again, it's really hard to cuss somebody out you're praying for. And it's hard not to like somebody you're praying for. So intimacy is established when you pray for somebody. Intimacy is established when you begin to pray with one another. When you begin to meet at the church, you begin to meet at different places, you begin to pray. There's a friendship, there's a camaraderie. You grow close to those that you, you pray with. There was a window 26 uh, years ago when sometimes over 80 people. Meese, do you remember that? Over, Karen, do you remember that? Over 80 people would meet every single morning at 6 a.m. It grew to about 80 people. One uh, Thanksgiving day we met and prayed, and I wanted to go hunting that day, so I told everybody, wear your camouflage, and we're going to be soldiers this morning. We're going to pray. I'm not being, being soldiers, but I prayed at Iron went and got the tree stand before daybreak, so everything went okay. But there's something, something that happens when you begin to pray with one another. One of the toughest things in a marriage is for the husband to pray out loud. We assume the wife is more spiritual. She usually is. We assume the wife knows all the stupid things we did that week, and here we are acting like we have a relationship with God. Hello, do I have a friend in the house? And it is tough to just take your, your wife's hand and just agree her leg is hurting, you're going on a trip, the children, that, that's hard to do. But if you will, if you will get over that, there will be a different intimacy that's established with your wife and that is praying with her. And then the third thing, the most important thing, you establish intimacy with the one you're praying to. There's just something about conversation with God, and the more you talk to him, the more you realize he is for you. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you, regardless of how many stupid things you've done in your life. Aren't you glad? Look at somebody and say, God does stupid. Go ahead. Look at somebody and say, God does my stupid. Hallowed be thy name. That word hallow is worship, and we worship the name of God. And uh, there are 16. Look at somebody say 16. And I am not going to touch on all 16, but there are 16 what we call compound names of God. The word Jehovah means Lord. And when you pray in the name of Jehovah, you bring God to where you're at. But you bring God to where you're at in the level that you need him most. Stay with me just for a moment. Very, very important. In Hebrews 12 and 2, Jesus said, In the midst of the congregation will I declare thy name. Among the brethren I will sing. So when we gather together and we begin to sing, we begin to worship, the Bible says that Jesus comes down and begins to manifest in his name. But what does that mean? 
It means that whatever area of your life you need God to be, he shows up in that name. In other words, he's walking up, the, up and down the aisles right now, and if you're sick, he's here as Jehovah Rapha. If you're here and financially things are all messed up, he's here as Jehovah Jireh. He's here and you feel like everybody's against you and you don't have anybody on your side. He shows up as Jehovah Nissi, and that's the Lord, our banner. If you're struggling with your relationship and you feel like you're, you're, you're being, uh, I don't know, judgmental or critical on yourself, he's Jehovah Tzitkanu, which means the Lord, our righteousness. He is, if there's the storm going through, get ready some scary decision, don't know what to do. He is known as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our, help me, peace. The Lord, our peace. And with that, we will conclude this teaching today. I hope that it will bless you. It is one minute before 12. May I have a word of prayer for all of you. Father, thank you 